Good evening. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, and we are studying, studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter step is Into Action, step 11, and our speaker tonight is Andrew Kay. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Absolutely a tremendous privilege for me to be with you. Um, as mentioned, I'm Andrew Kay. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive eater. I'm, I'm touching base with you today out of uh, just west of Chicago, Illinois. So um, uh, really um, honored to be with you guys. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun for me uh, to, to share this story of recovery. That's what this is about. What I really appreciated uh, coming into this meeting, I haven't been here before, but just hearing that, that early big book influence and in, in really locking into the idea that we, we really have a common problem and a common solution, and that comes through loud and clear, and that's what I hope to share with you guys tonight. So as mentioned, disclaimers out of the way, if, if I say anything that doesn't reconcile with the book, I would invite you to ignore it and, and, and do me a favor and bring it to my attention. You know, I mean, like, I want to be coming to you straight with the facts from the book that has been the, the thing that has absolutely transformed my life. And so um, that's that's the goal today. That's what we're going to do with step 11. So uh, before we start, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of some of the number stuff. Um, I have been a member of OA since August 29th of 2019. I'll tell a little bit of my story to kind of set up the step 11. So it's it's three years and some change. Um, there's a, a little hinge point there, uh, the middle of the night uh, where everything changed for me. Um, and I've been grateful to be abstinent during my time in OA here. I've, I've released about 175 pounds. I'm maintaining that weight loss, which I'll show you the pictures here in a second. If somebody wants to pull those up while we talk, uh, you'll see that uh, losing weight for a guy like me is not actually that miraculous. Um, keeping the weight off is is truly something to, to write home about. And so I just threw it all on a slide here. If, if you can see it, if, if you're following along on the recording here, uh, it starts up in the upper left-hand corner uh, when, when I met, I was dating my, my uh, who was my now wife at that time. And you can see basically every other year uh, for the two decades that we were together, I was either uh, becoming much smaller, becoming much bigger. And so there's really the only two types of photos I have is, is, is ones where uh, I would, you know, marshal my human willpower to the best of my ability for as long as I could hang on, hold my breath as tight as I could, I would drop the weight. And then I would hit that point where I would uh, transition back uh, to to a, a plan of moderate eating, which I didn't do a very good job with. And and then you can see me balloon right back up. Um, the, the pictures at the end, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the promises and some of the hope of, of the recovery of the program. Those are some recent ones. This summer, I took a vacation with my family. Um, and as you could probably ascertain from the photos, I, I wasn't jumping into a wetsuit when I was 411 pounds. That was kind of not an option that was off the table. And so to be able to be there be present with my family to engage in that way is, is really miraculous. So if, if you could take those down and, and uh, what I would like to do is I, I want to hit step 11 with you guys, because I think it's absolutely critical to the work that we're doing. But in order to kind of set that up, what I'd like to do is share a little bit about my journey and program so that, A, you know who you're talking to a little bit, you know, that we can have some of that, that baseline context so it makes sense. And also, too, to help you understand why I think it's so important to be in the work of step 11, why it matters to me today um, when I'm, when, as I'm working my daily program. So I'm a guy who struggled with the food as long as I can remember. I mean, there isn't a time where I wasn't, you know, pursuing the food. I use the word with some of my guys, like a mad dog. I was insatiable for the food. You know, this, the idea that I would be satisfied by, you know, a moderate amount of food is just never my experience. And so there was there was that going on from a very early age where as soon as you start, you know, you, you show me what's available for food, I already know it's not enough. And and if you ask me how much is enough, that's an answer I don't know, but it's it's not what you're offering. I need more. That's just me. 
Simultaneously, I was also a guy who was always struggling with a lot of guilt and fear and shame and self-loathing and, and judgment and, and uh, what I would now today call the bondage of self. I didn't have those words uh, you know, when I was growing up, but that's the reality is I was a guy who was consumed with me. Um, you know, I occasionally thought about other people, but it was really only to think about what they might be thinking about me. That's the truth. And so I'm the kind of guy who walks into a meeting and walks into a room. And, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking around to see, you know, who's there and am I OK? You know, what are they going to say to me? What are they going to think about me? Are they talking about me? Are they going to notice I gained weight, notice I lost weight, et cetera? And so, you know, that that idea of being completely consumed with self um, has been my MO for a very long time. When you combine somebody who has this problem with food that the doctor's opinion describes people who have an abnormal response, you know, to, to alcohol, or in my case, to certain foods or ingredients, when you combine that piece with that bondage of self piece, it, it proved to be a pretty combustible mix for a guy like me. And so I started that journey early on in life of, of riding way up the scale. Um, and it would reach a point where it, it became untenable. And I would do the only thing I knew how to do, which was to marshal my human willpower. Um, and I would find a plan and I would, you know, try to course correct because it's, I can see that we're, we're out of bounds here and I'm going to do everything I can to try to fix it. There's, there's a line in our book. Most of you probably know, it says that the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is that someday he would be able to both control and enjoy his drinking. And, and that, you know, it says some of us, we, we pursue that right into the gates of insanity and death because it's so elusive. And that was my story. That's what it was like for me, uh, you know, for the 38 years before I got the program. That obsession, you know, there was lots of times where I appeared to be able to control the food. You know, I'm the kind of guy who lost 100 pounds, you know, like like six or seven times before I got to the rooms of OA. And, and each of those times, it gave me the illusion that, that I was right on the cusp of having control because in my mind, I had proven, you know, like, obviously, I can do this. I, I mean, like, the evidence is there. The fact that I'm not doing it right now I would appreciate if you would just ignore that for a minute and let's look back before. Remember last time when I did that, give me another chance and I'm going to do it again. You know, and so there were, there were times where I appeared to be controlling the food. Uh, I, I have learned that that was kind of an illusion. And then there was lots of times where I can, where, where I was enjoying the food, but if I was enjoying, if you let me eat the way I wanted to eat, it was always out of control. That's just the truth for a guy like me. And so the thing that allowed me to, to maintain that illusion of control for a long time is, is that I, I just would change the terms of the game, you know? And so I was the kind of guy who was never, you know, emphasis on line, line drawn in the sand, never going to get over, you know, 315 pounds. Um, for me, that felt like the top of the, the limit. I was a, a college athlete. And so in my, my very self-centered ego-driven mind, I was a different kind of 300. I wasn't the normal obese kind of 300. I was the athletic 300. But if I hit 315, that would that would be the limit. And so I drew that line in the sand and I was never going to cross it. And then I, and then I did. And, and then I, all I did is I just moved that line a little further down. I decided that 315, I thought that was where the line was supposed to be, but I kind of miscalculated. It was really supposed to be like 330 or something like that. And so then I, I, I wrote it all the way back up and I played that game literally for, you know, for decades, you know, this, the pursuit of that illusion of control that someday I would be able to control and enjoy it. And, and the evidence in the pictures you can see, I, I didn't do a good job of that. And so uh, I, I gained and lost about 1,600 pounds before program. Um, and, and something happened for me. I, I, I won't bore you with all the de details that you can kind of imagine how that goes. You're, you're probably familiar yourself with something like that, the, the consequences of, of living in the bondage of food. 
that all changed for me on, on August 29th of 2019, where something happened that had never happened to me before. And what happened to me is I got a little moment of clarity where I saw the truth of the situation, you know, and the reality is, is you have to have a, a, a pretty tremendous ego to be 411 pounds and ensure that you know exactly what you're doing. Uh, it sounds laughable to say, I mean, like they the, the gained and lost 1600 pounds and I was convinced that I, I was the one with all the answers, but that's really what it was. I couldn't see it. You know, it says that alcoholics are driven by delusion, fear, delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. And that was me. I couldn't see it when I was in the middle of it. My alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. I, I was just a guy trying to figure this stuff out. And I was so close. I was right on the cusp. And on August 29th, I was, I was, I had gained about 108 pounds in the previous eight months. I was eating around the clock. I mean, absolutely just gas station to gas station, restaurant to restaurant, you know, come home, do it all during the night. You know, my, my wife and girls are asleep and I'm, I am a slave to food at two 30 in the morning. And that's a tremendously lonely place to be. If you, if you've ever been there where, when the rest of the world is peacefully asleep and, and you're, and you're doing what you do. And, and what happened for me that night is I, I, I got I got really a moment of clarity, a moment of truth where where all of the all of it was stripped away, and I saw myself for exactly as I was, and I wasn't a guy who was right on the cusp of having control, you know. I wasn't a guy who was going to make it better in the morning. I knew all the way to my innermost self. If you gave me every morning for the rest of my life, it was never going to be any different than it was right now, because I'm the kind of guy who always ends up right back here, always, and I knew it. And I knew it was never going to be any different. And you talk about, you know, Bill talks about that place of quicksand stretching all around, you know, and, and we're reading 1940s AA preamble. So I'm, I'm assuming that, that there's people on this line who probably have, you know, the language of, of the Oxford group and the tenants of the Oxford group. And, and that first tenant being complete deflation and complete deflation is something that that's not just like, hey, listen, things aren't going very well for me. You know, I, I really wish I could be better with, around. I mean, it, it means there's nothing left. I was completely destroyed by the food. And in that moment, I, I knew that it was never going to be any different. I, I was completely and utterly hopeless. And, and, and in that moment, you know, and, and I'm going to respect the, the, uh, the conscience of the group here. I'm going to use the word God just ubiquitously. You can, you can feel free to just because it's the language of the big book. But obviously, I'm, I'm speaking to your conception of that. But God intersected in that moment. And I felt led to go look at OA, you know, not even knowing what it was, but, but having a sense that it was the kind of place for a guy like me. And so I jumped in to the deep end of that pool. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is where I found my story. And, and I came to realize some things really early in program. Not only did I not actually know everything about how this works, which is what I erroneously thought uh, all those years of, of gaining and losing weight, I thought I knew everything. Not only did I not know everything, I didn't actually know much of anything. And all of a sudden, there was this language around this work um, that was completely changing you know, how I saw things in the doctor's opinion. And I won't bore you with all the steps because we're going to get to 11, I promise. But it talks about this allergy and the obsession and, and, and that there are people who are bodily and mentally different who are abnormal. It's like all of a sudden, if that were true, my whole life would make sense. And then I keep working in and, 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 and it talks about this idea that, that the real alcoholic, the real compulsive eater is somebody who has lost the power of choice and control, lost the power of choice as to whether or not to pick it up. You know, it says at certain times, you know, we wish to smash this home because they know I'm kind of a slow learner. At certain times, I'll have no effective mental defense against the first drink, period. His defense must come from a higher power. You know, so if you're an eater like, like of the type that I'm an eater, that's the, that's the facts of the book as I understand them. The idea that I'm going to manage this 
And that if I could just figure out a way to kind of I'll move the dominoes around and I'll twist the dials. And if I could just get it right and listen, then I'll be okay. I'll just, I'll take care of this. I don't have any evidence over the 38 years before I got the program that would, that would make that to be true. I'm the kind of guy who always goes back and that matches exactly what the book says short of divine intervention, short of some power outside of Andrew stepping in. I got no shot, no hope. Okay. And so that understanding and that realization started to, to change things for me because all of a sudden, if lack of power, if, if I don't have the power to stop myself from choosing to pick up and I don't have any power over the food, once I put it in, it flips that switch. And it's, you know, like it ends when it ends, you know, and the last one was eight months and it was 108 pounds is pretty ugly. And so if I'm that kind of guy and my defense must come from a higher power, then, then my top priority now becomes how do I get connected to that power source? And that for me is really what the steps are. The steps are a series of actions specifically designed to create an experience that gets me connected with that power. And so that's, I mean, hopefully here you can see we're, we're building up that progression to, to step 11. And so before I do that, you know, there's some real fundamental things that happen in that third step that kind of inform why step 11 is so important. You know, what it talks about in the third step is it, it, it there's a little shift. And most of you probably know where that is in the book where we, we, we kind of stop talking about alcohol. And then we start talking all about selfishness and self-centeredness. And Bill says that the root of the troubles, you know, the root of the problem for a guy like me is, is actually selfishness and self-centeredness. And that was, that really floored me when I got here. Cause when I came to program, I was pretty darn sure I had a problem with food and weight. And, and you saw the pictures that would have seemed like a pretty obvious answer. And, and it flips the script there. You know, what I would have thought it would say is, is like, you know, like, Cookies and excess weight, that we think is the root of our trouble. See that. What it says is for somebody like me, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our troubles. And I, I told you for my whole life, I've struggled in that bondage of self. I have been consumed with me. And the inventory work that we do in step four is really where I started to see that for the first time. And, and, and all of a sudden, the, the, the real problem here isn't putting the food down. I had done that lots of times before a program. It was, how do I treat that alcoholic insanity? How do I treat that restless and irritable and discontent? How do I treat the fact that I'm the kind of guy who always drifts away from the power? I never wake up after not doing this stuff for a few days and go like, wow, I feel unbelievably connected. Where did that come from? It's always the opposite. I drift into selfishness. I drift into self-centeredness. I drift into me. Pretty soon self-pity starts creeping in and self-loathing starts creeping in. And I start looking at all of you like you're stupid and nobody gets it and everybody's in my way and nobody really appreciates how hard this is for me, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I'm once again drifting to the bondage of self. And so again, lack of power, whether it's over the food or whether it's over my selfish, self-centered character defects, I don't have any power to manage any of that stuff. And so for me, this program has become it, it, you know, an ongoing daily uh, rhythm of trying to get connected and stay connected to that power, which brings us to step 11, why this is so important. Okay. If you're the kind of person, thank you so much. If you're the kind of person like me who is, has that propensity to constantly drift, then you're going to have to find ways to take action to stay connected to that power. And, and the inventory work started that, but that ongoing, it says, you know, it's step 11, you know, it. we, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact 
with God, you know, asking only that he would, you know, for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. That's what a guy like me has to have. Because again, left to my own devices, it always ends the same way. It always ends in selfishness and self-centeredness. That's the root of the, of the problem for a guy like me. And so, it, you know, the, the, I'll share with you here real quick, right out of the book, it talks about, um, you know, this step 11 thing, in my experience, is going to look different for me than it looks for you. And, and everybody is going to have their own experience with getting connected and staying connected to this power. All that I think we need to agree on is the importance of, of doing it. And if we can agree on that, then, then we're on the same page. That said, it does offer us some, it says some definite and valuable suggestions about how to do that. And so I'll just share with you, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. It says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves, which should be discussed with, other, with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others? of what we could pack into the stream of life, okay? The first time I did a step 11, I read through that. And I was like, like, listen, I haven't been any of these things. I haven't been selfish at all or self-seeking at all. I've been kind and loving. Like, this is easy. No, it's not easy. Uh, I was delusional. Uh, I, I was an idiot. I didn't have any idea. I didn't even know what it looked like to be selfish and self-centered. You know, I came into a program pretty sure I was the world's most easygoing and generous guy. False, not true. You know, the inventory work has showed me that that's not true. And so today, this is what I'm looking at. And when I'm doing that, that evening review, again, I'm, I'm a guy who's doing step 10s regularly throughout the day because I need that. If you don't, then that's fine. But I, like I, I drift fast. Okay. That said, I know that A, not everything's getting caught during the day. And B, if there's stuff that's coming up all the time, I want to take some time to get down to the deeper. What, what's behind this? You know, what is it about me that constantly needs to, to grind on people? Let's, let's, let's do some digging and, and get quiet and figure out what that is. And that's what that step 11 evening review is for me. And for me, it's like a fact-facing and fact-finding mission. Again, I'm just, I'm, I want to see things as they really are now. And this isn't about beating myself up, you know, or, or coming in like I'm a piece of trash, okay? I, I have a real clear view that, I mean, the picture's not always very pretty. I'll share that with people as it's, as it's useful for them, I'm fine to, to let you guys know that, that I still struggle. But the point of the exercise isn't to, isn't to beat myself up or to point out all the areas where I'm no good. It's to, it's again, to get quiet and to maintain that conscious contact to see, Hey, where am I off the tracks? Where am I drifting into self again? And, and again, what corrective measures need to be taken? Then in the morning, it says on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask that God would direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And again, you would think based on, again, there are times in our rooms, and again, I'm, I'm all about abstinence, like the food, but it's got to be down. I get that part. But based on the way that a lot of the program works, you would think that it would say, you know, we go to ask God to, to, to take our focus off of, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups, because that's the root of the troubles. And it doesn't say that. It says that the, the, the problem for a guy like me is I get disconnected and I become self-consumed. And so it's asking God, will you please divorce my thinking from my selfishness? Because that's what's going to separate me from the solution is, is my own selfishness and self-centeredness. And it's a real perspective shift. At least it was for me. That's what I'm going to in that morning meditation time is, I, listen, I know that I'm going to be off the tracks. Like that's a foregone conclusion. And so now I'm just asking for help. How do I, how do I make it through this? I, I, I can see I'm going to drift again, 
please help realign me to be the kind of guy that I was created to be. And then, so we've talked about what we do in the evening. What, what about in the morning? What about throughout the day? It has directions for that too. It says, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, saying humbly to ourselves many times each day, I will be done. And I, I got five seconds here. The reason I have to constantly remind myself is because I'm constantly trying to run the show. That's why I'm the kind of guy who needs those reminders all day long. And then it, says, it goes on to say that we let God discipline us because alcoholics are undisciplined people. And, and I am the story of an undisciplined guy. And that's what step 11 is, is allowing God to come in and, and direct and correct because I'm the kind of guy who needs it, not just today, but tomorrow and every day thereafter. So I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for letting me share. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Andrew King. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine if you're on the phone, and the Zoom host Yvonne will call the raised hand, no, and the Zoom host will um, ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer, Angela, for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up? And if the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. And I'll call the names in order as um, has come up. And Amy B, you are up. Thank you, Amy B, compulsive overeater. Thank you, CJ and Yvonne, for your service. Andrew, thank you so much for your service. And I have a question because I need to hear more from you. Um, can you please speak a bit on how your personal step 11 practice has evolved um, the evening, the morning? Do you use an app? Do you use pen and paper? Do you share? Do you have a specific place for paramedic? Like how has it evolved? How has it, how has it grown? I would just love to hear just some more from your personal story. Thank you so much for your service tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for the question. And I'll watch on the clock here and somebody can remind me so I don't go over the three minutes. So the first thing that I always try to, when I, when I, cause I'm, I don't mind sharing about this kind of stuff and having this question. Some of the time for me, uh, I have the tendency where, where the mechanics of the process can, can kind of get in the way of the heart of the process. And so I, I'm always, the first thing I'm trying to do is to, is to figure out like, listen, do I, is my heart coming at this thing from the right place? And so uh, I have experimented with different things, sometimes written, I've done the apps, I've, you know, ultimately what I'm mostly trying to do is to figure out, am I approaching this thing with, with the right heart? And, and my experiences is that there's a tremendous amount of grace around this work if we are getting after it the right way. And so, you know, for me, it's become a rhythm of, I need to start my day going again and asking for that, you know, for that direction. Part of that is ideals work, Amy, to answer your question. I mean, a lot of that is, is I've, I've gotten quiet and I want to know, you know, what does God have for me as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as a member of OA, as a sponsor, sponsee, et cetera. And so a lot of that, you know, I'm growing towards those spiritual ideas and we're taking that into that morning time. And then ultimately throughout the day, like I, I'm just trying to stay connected all day long because I'm the kind of guy who has to redirect all the time. I, I talk about it like I'm riding, I'm the kind of guy who's got to go up to down escalator. There are some people who just get to ride up the escalator, you know, and more power to them. It's like, they just wake up and they're connected and they feel good. My wife is like one of them, like, that's awesome. I'm not that guy. 
I'm the kind of guy who's got to walk up the down escalator. And the second I stop, I just ride right back to the bottom, you know, and, and, and I become restless and irritable and discontent. And it happens really, really fast. It's insidious. And so it has become very much the rhythm of my life, you know, through podcasts, through the connection, through sponsoring, through working with others. It is just all day, every day. Cause, cause that's what I need. I'm a mad dog for recovery now. Like I used to be a mad dog for the food. I hope that makes sense. Awesome. Catherine A., it looks like you're up next. Thank you, Catherine A., Recovered Compulsive Reader. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for your share and for your answer to that last question. That was that really resonated with me. Uh, I, I have a question for you around uh, your nightly review and how whether you've struggled with um, kind of balancing the uh, like being honest about how your day has been and what what has gone on through the day, um, but also being constructive about it and being aware of where you've done done well um, and and finding that right balance for you on a daily basis. Yeah, uh, super question, Catherine. Thank you so much. So again, as I told you in the story, I mean, traditionally, I was the kind of guy who was was would go very deep into the self loathing and the guilt and the shame and, you know, tons of body image stuff and, and very unhealthy things around all of that. That was just another manifestation of selfishness for me. That's the, that's the reality is what I've come to see is, is that this for me is a, is a, is a problem of ego and in, in the job of the ego, uh, you've probably heard people say it has two jobs, separate me from that power, separate me from God or separate me from my fellows. And it doesn't matter whether I'm separating me out on that throne of judgment where I'm looking down at all of you like you're morons and I can't even imagine how you make it through a day, you know, because you're so dumb. Or if I'm the guy who's like, you know what, I'm not even worth being here. You know, I don't have anything to offer the world because I'm such a loser. It doesn't matter which way I end up off of the, the beam you know, if the ego separates me out. And so what I've tried to do is to take that heart into that evening review. I'm just looking for the facts. And the reality is, is that I'm not always awesome. I still struggle with this stuff. Like there are people maybe who get it and they're just like, it. they never have problems. I'm not that guy. I'm very prone to being selfish and self-centered and restless and irritable and discontent. I have four daughters at home and my wife, and sometimes they don't even do things my way. Shocking. You know, it's all of a sudden it's like guys like, you know, and, and I'm the kind of guy who can get off the beam really fast and and all I want to know today is, is how do I get back? I don't like being in that space. It's an untenable space. And so if there's something in that evening review where that needs to be corrected because I've behaved objectionably, give it to me. I want to see it now because I, because, because if I see it now, there's hope for me to go be better. You know, it, it talks about you know, that the, the, the truth is that, that I'm behind all this stuff. It's no longer the problems coming at me. The problems are coming from me. And once I can kind of have that perspective shift, then I have an opportunity to be part of the solution. And so for me, it's become much more of just a fact-facing, fact-finding mission. I just want to know the truth. And the truth is there's some things I do pretty well, you know, and, and, and like God's grown me a lot in the last three years. I'm not the same guy I was when I got here, but I'm still, I'm not there. I'm pretty selfish. So does that make sense? Okay. Great question. Great answer. Thank you both for that. Ed P, looks like you're up. Okay, I came off mute. Andrew, thank you for your lead. And uh, I've been in recovery since 2001 for compulsive overeating. 
I just celebrated my two-year sobriety anniversary. So I've been on the slow train, uh, but I'm grateful to be here. Uh, my peak weight was 330 pounds. I'm maintaining it at about one in the 170s now, and I'm very grateful. So Andrew, here's the question on page 63, right after the third step prayer, I'm not going to read the third step prayer. Many of us are familiar with that, but it says, we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. What do you think it means by utterly? And then pairing that with uh, step 10, page 84, paragraph three, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For this time of sanity will have returned, will seldom be interested in liquor. So that when it says cease fighting anything or, or anyone, do you think it really means anything? <laughs> That's my question. Yeah. And part of it is, you know, I, I just had a week of vacation. I'm back to work and I'm calling my financial guy and say, hey, isn't it about time that I retire? You know, can now be the time? Because I'm a guy driven by a hundred forms of fear. So this actually is a very real question. Over to you, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Super question, Ed. So the way that I would look at that, number one is there's some really strong language throughout the book. Like if you actually read it, there's a lot of completelys and totallys and utterlies. And, and that's my experience is, is that where I see people um, thriving in this program, Ed, is, is when we are, we're all the way into the deep end of the pool. And I think the word for that is really surrender. You know, that's the hinge point for me. That's, that's what step one is, is, a, is, is, is a, you know, like that complete deflation. I'm out of options. It says, unfortunately, most people like me have to be pretty badly mangled before we're willing to jump in to that deep end of the pool because I think I'm so selfish and self-centered. You know, but, but that point where it's like I'm, I'm, I've ceased fighting anything in anyone. Because, because again, any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I don't have any evidence of any of this stuff working. When I got here on August 29th, the illusion that any of it was working, the food or otherwise, was completely smashed. And so if that is the problem, once I understand the gravity of step one, and it's, it's a death sentence, according to the book, if you have this problem, and, and, and not everybody in our fellowship has this problem, I don't think as described by the book, that's okay. They're welcome to be here. You know, but if you have this problem as outlined in the book, it's a death sentence. It gets worse and worse and worse until you die, or you pick up this kit of spiritual tools and, and then you, you have an opportunity for um, a miracle. That's what it says. And so if you're that kind of person and the gravity of step one is, is on you, you know, then, then again, lack of power is my problem. And if, if that's my primary problem, then getting connected to that power has to be my primary solution or my primary, my number one priority. And so that's, you know, and, and for me, there's, there's no, there's no half in it. I have to abandon myself utterly. People who give themselves completely to the simple way of life are the ones that I see having the transformation. And so I just, uh, I'll go all the way into that. That's the only way I know how to do this thing. So um, that's the jumping off point, at least uh, for, for spiritual growth for me. Thank you so much for the question. And it looks like after Eileen, we can stop the recording. And Eileen, you're up. Or do you want us to stop the recording now, Eileen? Happily.